Book Five, Chapter Four, of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The League of the Scarlet Pimpernel by Baroness Ortsy. Book Five: A Fine Bit of Work. Chapter Four. Five minutes later, the soldiers, directed by Petite Mama, had reached number 37, Rue Saint-Anne. The big outside door stood wide open, and the whole party turned immediately into the house. The concierge, terrified and obsequious, rushed, trembling, out of his box. What was the pleasure of the citizen soldiers, he asked. Tell him, citizeness, commanded Roger curtly. We are going to apartment number 12 on the second floor, said petite mama to the concierge. Have you a key of the apartment? queried Roger. No, citizen, stammered the concierge, but... Well, what is it? queried the other peremptorily. Papa Turandot is a poor harmless maker of violins, said the concierge. I know him well, though he is not often at home. He lives with a daughter somewhere passe way, and only uses this place as a workshop. I am sure he is no traitor. We'll soon see about that, remarked Roger dryly. Petite Mama held her shawl tightly crossed over her bosom. Her hands felt clammy and cold as ice. She was looking straight out before her, quite dry-eyed and calm, and never once glanced on Rosette, who was not allowed to come anywhere near her mother. As there was no duplicate key to apartment number 12, Citizen Roger ordered his men to break in the door. It did not take very long. The house was old and ramshackle, and the doors rickety. The next moment the party stood in the room which a while ago the Englishman had so accurately described to Pierre Lenigre in Petite Mama's hearing. There was the wardrobe. Petite Mama, closely surrounded by the soldiers, went boldly up to it. She opened it, just as Milor had directed, then pushed aside the row of shabby clothes that hung there. Then she pointed to the panels that did not fit quite tightly together at the back. Petite Mama passed her tongue over her dry lips before she spoke. There is a recess behind those panels, she said at last. They slide back quite easily. My old man is there. And God bless you for a brave, loyal soul, came in merry, ringing accent from the other end of the room. And God save the Scarlet Pimpernel. These last words, spoken in English, completed the blank amazement which literally paralyzed the only three genuine Republican soldiers there, those, namely, whom Roger had borrowed from the sergeant. As for the others, they knew what to do. In less than a minute they had overpowered and gagged the three bewildered soldiers. Rosette had screamed, terror-stricken, from sheer astonishment, but petite mamma stood quite still. Her pale, tear-dimmed eyes fixed upon the man whose gay god bless you had so suddenly turned her despair into hope how was it that in the hideous unkempt and grimy roger she had not at once recognized the handsome and gallant milor who had saved her pierre's life well of a truth he had been unrecognizable but now that he tore the ugly wig and beard from his face stretched out his fine figure to its full height and presently turned his lazy merry eyes on her, she could have screamed for very joy. The next moment he had her by the shoulders, and had imprinted two sounding kisses upon her cheeks. 
Now, petite maman, he said gaily, let us liberate the old man. Pierre Lenigre, from his hiding place, had heard all that had been going on in the room for the last few moments. True, he had known exactly what to expect, for no sooner had he taken possession of the recess behind the wardrobe than Milor also entered the apartment, and then and there told him of his plans, not only for Pierre's own safety, but for that of petite maman and Rosette, who would be in grave danger if the old man followed in the wake of Pierre. Milor told him in his usual light-hearted way that he had given the committee's spies the slip. I do that very easily, you know, he explained. I just slip into my rooms in the Rue Jolivet, change myself into a snuffy and hunchback violin maker, and walk out of the house under the noses of the spies. In the nearest wine shop my English friends, in various disguises, are all ready to my hand. Half a dozen of them are never far from where I am, in case they may be wanted. These half-dozen brave Englishmen soon arrived one by one, one looking like a coal-heaver, another like a seedy musician, a third like a coach-driver. But they all walked boldly into the house, and were soon all congregated in apartment number twelve. Here fresh disguises were assumed, and soon a squad of Republican guards looked as like the real thing as possible. Pierre Lenigre admitted himself that though he actually saw Milor transforming himself into Citizen Roger, he could hardly believe his eyes. So complete was the change. I am deeply grieved to have frightened and upset you so, petite mamma, now concluded Milor kindly. But I saw no other way of getting you and Rosette out of the house and leaving that stupid sergeant and some of his men behind. I did not want to arouse in him even the faintest breath of suspicion, and, of course, if he had asked me for the written orders which he was actually waiting for, or if his corporal had returned sooner than I anticipated, there might have been trouble. But even then, he added with his usual careless insouciance, I should have thought of some way of baffling those brutes. And now, he concluded more authoritatively, it is a case of getting you out of Paris before the gates close. Pierre Lenigre, take your wife and daughter with you, and walk boldly out of this house. The sergeant and his men have not vacated their post in the Rue Jolivet, and no one else can molest you. Go straight to the Porte des Nuits, and on the other side, wait quietly in the little cafe at the corner of the avenue until I come. Your old passes for the barriers still hold good. You were only placed on the suspect list this morning, and there has not been a hue and cry yet about you. In any case, some of us will be close by to help you if needs be. But you, Milor, stammered Pierre Lenigre, and your friends. La, man, retorted Blakeney lightly, have I not told you before never to worry about me and my friends? We have more ways than one of giving the slip to this dimmed government of yours. All you've got to think of is your wife and your daughter. I am afraid that petite mamma cannot take more with her than she has on. But we'll do all we can for her comfort until we have you in perfect safety in England with Pierre. Neither Pierre Lenigre nor petite mamma nor Rosette could speak just then, for tears were choking them. But anon, when Milor stood nearer, Petite Mamma knelt down, and imprisoning his slender hand in her brown wrinkled ones, she kissed it reverently. 
He laughed and chided her for this. "'Tis I should kneel to you in gratitude, petite mamma," he said earnestly. "'You were ready to sacrifice your old man for me.' "'You have saved Pierre, milor," said the mother simply. A minute later, Pierre Lenigre and the two women were ready to go. Already milor and his gallant English friends were busy once more, transforming themselves into grimy workmen or seedy middle-class professionals. As soon as the door of apartment 12 finally closed behind the three good folk, my lord Tony asked of his chief, What about these three wretched soldiers, Blakeney? Oh, they'll be all right for twenty-four hours. They can't starve till then, and by that time the concierge will have realized that there's something wrong with that door of number twelve, and will come in to investigate the matter. Are they securely bound, though? And gagged, rather, ejaculated one of the others. Odd's life, Blakeney, he added enthusiastically. That was a fine bit of work. End of chapter four and end of book five. A fine bit of work.